I don't know if you can hear that, but Sung and I just finished lunch. He's still chewing as we start this episode of Seasons of Grace. My name's Nate. Uh, I am so glad that you're here with us. Me, along with Sung Kim, the lead pastor of Grace Church. And uh, this entire season, we've been doing something similar to what we did uh, last season, where we tackled you know, hard questions from the Old Testament, except we've been looking at New Testament questions, right? Reverse. Oh, do we do New Testament first? Yeah, we're doing oh, Old Testament. All right. Okay, yeah, yeah. So these are Old Testament questions. <laughs> Got it. I'm glad I'm I'm glad I'm so prepared. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, Sung. So what do we got today? Well, today is the final episode, I think, of this season. We'll see how long these discussions go. But yeah. uh, it's it's more of a grab bag okay. of questions and um, not a- any specific theme or anything. Um so I am going to read uh, either uh, the entire or part of e- emails, um, and we could just start talking through it and see where that goes. Sounds good. So these are these are questions that have been sent in by people that listen to the podcast mm-hmm. or go to the church. Yep. Yeah, okay. and they're they're uh, long emails. Okay. So, but I think just to get the full context, it's helpful. Yeah. So, um, one person writes. I just finished reading the screw tape letters for the first time. Oof. There was a lot in there that felt like C.S. Lewis was, was holding up a, a mirror and saying, pay attention. Mm. I love some of the ways he uses fiction to bring me closer to God and give me new perspectives. But then I re- read screw tape proposes a toast. And, and I think is that the afterwards or the intro? I made afterwards. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And while there were some parts I was reflecting on with an open hand, when he got into the anti-public school parts, my education and passion regarding childhood development and trauma was screaming at C.S. Lewis to look at all of the scientific studies that probably didn't exist in his day, mm-hmm. though it sounds like a movement was getting started, so maybe some did, and shows how nurture and support helps our brain and also how ongoing trauma desperately affects the brain and body's development. Nobody is a dunce or lazy, words that he may have used. Okay. Um, and he was writing this probably what? like th- this, uh, six, six, 50, 50, 60s? 60s? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, it'd be, uh, he actually wrote it during World War II. So uh, mid-40s, early mm-hmm. 50s. Yep. Okay. They need the right support to be successful, and that doesn't have to be at the sacrifice of others who don't face the same learning challenges. And yes, the school system needs to be unplugged, reimagined, and rebooted so everyone gets across access to support they need. See, Lewis, these movements, to, uh, these movements to nurture struggling youth are not anti-individualist. But let's stop calling people dumb because humans are complex. My question is, how does one look up to and grow so much from writing and theories and perspectives of certain authors, theologians, philosophers, etc.? Also balance the knowledge that they could be very right in one way, but very wrong in another. If I think they're wrong in one big way, does that make the other perspectives null? But if I choose to only agree with certain parts of what they believe, am I just catering to my own bias, liking Mm. the parts I decide to like, instead of receiving different perspectives with an open hand? Right, because the easy answer is to say, well, of course, we're complex, um, so you can take something and leave others. But then there's that additional question, which is like, well, but is is that just feeding into my own bias? And and that is a great... Right, because... 
I mean, so we often talk about echo chambers. And when we talk about echo chambers, we always accuse the other side of being in an echo chamber. Let's all realize we're all in echo chambers. And if you can't acknowledge that you're in your own echo chamber, like you're stuck in your echo chamber. It's it's similar like when people say, well, I'm not racist. I'm like, well, actually, if you can confirm that, if you can just affirm that you do have biases in some ways, that's way more helpful (laughs) than insisting that that you don't have any. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So any, any initial thoughts on this? Well, um, so for people that don't know, C.S. Lewis was sort of a famous Christian writer. He wrote um, a, really, a really popular series of children's books called The, the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and, but then he also did a lot, if people aren't aware, a ton of sort of theological writings, and he wrote on um, grief and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the, the book that this person is referring to is fiction, but it's sort of theological fiction, mm-hmm. right? It's is it's an exchange of letters between theoretically uh, an arch demon, yeah, okay, speaking to a junior demon, and so you almost have to look at it differently. And so the arch demon will say, "Our enemy," mm. referring to God, yep. and he's giving advice to this junior demon who has a uh, a human yeah. that he's trying to pull away from God. Yeah, yeah, and it do, it looks, uh, and I read it quite a while ago, but it looks a lot at sort of like human nature and the way that humans relate to God and sort of says, these are cracks that you can take advantage of. Mm -hmm. And C.S. Lewis's point obviously is, well, if you know those cracks are there, then as people of who want to be more sincere in your faith, you do the opposite of what the, the demon says. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Okay. All right. Um, And, and apparently in there he has some, he has another section of writing Mm -hmm. that really sort of triggered some, feelings for this yeah. other person like if if he uses the word dunce or mm-hmm. lazy and and labels people that way what does that mean for yeah. today's day and age um whether uh, i'm not calling it this but whether you somebody might call it woke or it, it's mm, just like I see. It, it just or even more moderately just to be like yeah like that's just plain old mean yeah yeah like you know how how do you understand that and yeah. so um, I, I think one thing is just to understand, yeah, he is writing in a very different era, you know, and, and like, for example, we wouldn't sit here and go like, oh, you know, when Oscar Wilde talk about being gay, you know, we're not going to trash him when he, when, when he, that did, like when that meant being happy, mm. like different w- words take on a, an evolutionary history yeah. that mean different things to different generations and different p- time periods. Now, um, uh, I mean, I mean now, uh, especially Oscar Wilde would talk a lot about homosexual activity and all that mm. kind of stuff. And so you could, but again, like, let's understand, like, there are words, like, you know, even words back when I was growing up, um, you know. Uh, I the R word? The R word. Uh, or, or R-E-T-A-R-D. I can't spell. <laughs> <laughs> it was it, like. R-E-T-A-R-D. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like I mean, I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm embarrassed even to say it on the air. But when yeah. I was younger, oh my gosh, it was everywhere. It, yeah, and, and it was, it was, uh, it, it was a way that bullies you uh, verbally abuse other yeah. kids, right? Um, or the word I was thinking about uh, starts with an F, and they would say referring to like people who weren't straight, mm. and it was just like, oh, it's a bunch of sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and so all of us. I mean, us included and, and growing up in a cult, like, you know, looking back, yeah, it's easy to, to look back and condemn. Uh, in fact, C.S. Lewis calls that chronological snobbery. Mm. 
the fact that like where wherever you are in the current day and age, looking back and looking down on the previous age because they weren't as smart or knowledgeable or whatever. And so, y- yes, um, you know, and I don't know that as a sixth grader, if I ever used the R word, you know, like who 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 of us at that point would have been like, yeah, in thirty years, this word is going to be like right. not kosher. Um, so I, I think there is that aspect of, on one hand, we need to make sure, yes, it, it t- from our perspective, from where we are sitting today, um, yes, like that, that just sounds horrific. Um, but what we also do then is project our culture and our understanding of that word to the, cl- the time in history back then. Yeah. And, and then, then we are, uh, that, that is chronological snobbery. Yeah. Um, oh, shoot. My thoughts just went straight out of my head. Oh, this is what I was going to say. I mean, if I think back on my own sort of journey of maturity and development over the past, let's call it four years, mm-hmm. three years, mm-hmm. um, there are definitely positions that I held or things that I would have said three years ago that when I look back, I'm like, ah, I, I, maybe I don't agree with that at all anymore, or I don't or I have a more nuanced view or I don't feel it as strongly. So, and that's the hard thing about writing is that it's sort of a, it's a snapshot that is time specific. And it's set in concrete. Yeah. You know, I mean, unless they're going to, I mean, C.S. Lewis is dead, so he can't go back and edit it, even if he, you know, had it had sort of a change of, of heart or opinion. So I think it is helpful to say like, yeah, you have to be able to take good things from some people and ignore others because we are all in process, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and if you don't see that you are, uh, you know, either it's become sort of like a cult of personality where you just take everything that somebody says and say that that's fine. Or, I mean, who of us hasn't said something that would sort of Mm -hmm. disqualify us from, from all sorts of, you know, absolutely. Right. The other question sometimes I wonder too, right? Because what we like to do today is damn a previous generation. Yeah. And I wonder, do we even take time to think like, how will future generations damn us? Yeah. Because they will. Oh, for sure. And whatever that might be. And, and we are completely oblivious to it because we're not there in the future, but yeah. they will. There'll be something in terms of how we saw something or approach something that 40 years from now, they will go, how in the world did they ever consider yeah. that right? Yeah. Um, so that, that's just a perspective. That's not an answer, but just, um, at the same time, yes, like, uh, that was a moniker, you know, saying dumb, that is just inappropriate today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, can I, can I ask to bring this back to sort of our, our theme from this season? Yeah. I mean, when we, when we look at the can we level that same sort of uh, evaluation against the authors of the Old Testament? Like, can we say, well, this was their perspective on God, or this is, you know, what they said was right to do, and here we are thousands of years later, and there are things that we sort of, yeah, like let go of or hang on to? Like, how, how does that, how, how far can we take that sort of application? That's a good question, right? Because, uh, um, uh, there are, you know, for example, back then, it's not like they would have said um, that they, they wouldn't have had necess- they wouldn't have articulated a heliocentric view of, right. you know, the world. And, right. and, and, and so 
um, uh, yeah, so, so there are cultural things like that. You know, I yeah, I wonder what what is the division? Is it more euphemisms and anthropological perspectives on things versus kind of a universal transcendent mm-hmm. that that is timeless? Because on one hand, you can't say everything is timeless. Right. I, at the same time, you can't say everything is just time bound. Right. Um, and I think that is the particular challenge when it comes to interpreting scripture. And most debates are not so much about the Bible as, as, as much as it is about how you interpret the Bible. And so, and a lot of those debates fall into the, this area. Well, you know, if you're going to say that about the old Testament, then we should still cook a goat in its mother's milk. Right. And, uh, I I think one, so I'll zoom out a little bit and then maybe zoom in, zoom out and say, yes, let's just acknowledge that, that our lens through which we even interpret scripture is very culturally shaped. And if we can't acknowledge that, that doesn't mean that, that, that the words are all subjective, but our, our view of it and, and even is, it is shaped by our time and our culture and, you know, what we often call biblical is our 21st century view yeah. from the Western culture perspective of what is biblical. Yeah. And so you could say biblical preaching. Right. Which we is, just, people love to throw that around. People say that oh, all the time. love it. Well, if you don't preach verse by verse, that's not biblical preaching. Right. Well, uh, uh, Jesus, you, you don't know how to do biblical preaching because you right. didn't do that. Yeah, he skipped, ar- he skipped around all over the place. He <laughs> yeah. loved to, man. So l- let's just be aware of that. Yeah. At what point, you know, and, you know, that that's something that every listener needs to wrestle with, you know, I, I, zooming in a little bit. I, and this doesn't necessarily make the answer easier or, or just the, 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 not an answer, but just kind of, uh, um, but I, I think there are, there are things to consider. And, and again, we're still looking at this from a 21st century Western perspective, but in the Old Testament where there are a lot of ceremonial laws that were abolished. Um, and Jesus himself said he came to abolish, or he didn't come to abolish the law, meaning, uh, but, but there he's talking about the moral law, mm. but that's very different from civil or ceremonial. Yeah. Civil changes based on geography, country, nation, you know, whatever it is. Civil laws can change all the time. And so that's not what is universal and transcendent. Ceremonial laws, there was a very specific purpose. Uh, we touched upon this a little bit when we were talking about kind of the symbolic reenactment of Abraham and Isaac, you know, um, does that solve everything? No, but it is helpful to see, okay, this is a ceremonial thing and understand what is the purpose behind not cooking a goat, a young goat in its mother's milk yeah. versus, well, you know, cause it's just as irresponsible to say, well, if this is, if, if this is universal and you're saying that, that, that still applies today, then, you know, we shouldn't wear clothes of this many threads, right? Like you're, you're being just as irresponsible on the other end by making everything timely time bound. And so, yeah, I mean, the, vi- <laughs> It, it, it is it, it is a challenge. Uh, one of the one of the places where I think these type of questions can come from that I'm aware of is that there, at least in the in the sort of church tradition that I grew up in, there was a ton of talk about like 
Jesus is the answer. Like, how, always be prepared to have, a, you know, to, to have a reason for the hope that you have. Like, sort of this argumentative sort of, we need to prove our faith. We need oh, yeah. to be right. Um, and I think I've taught, you know, there are some good, really good books, like Lee Strobel, The, the Case for Christ. Yeah. These sort of, like, argue, not argumentative, but sort of, like, logical arguments yep. in support of faith. And... It always felt like knowing those things is what made you a good Christian or not. <laughs> right, right. And I think as I've gotten older, I've, I have come to realize that the same things that we're saying about people like C.S. Lewis um, or even writers of the Old Testament are also true about me. And that I should probably hold my opinions with a great deal of, deal of fear and trembling and essentially say, there are, I don't, I'm not even aware of all of the forces that bring me to this point of decision Mm. and so it if anything i have become uh less sure of more things yeah the 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 more mature i get in my faith yeah um and i am more sure of fewer things yes uh, and so I, I kind of feel like as people of faith, we need to just learn to live in that and say, sure, there are things that you need to discard and there are things that you can hang on to. But at the same time, you have to be aware of those own sort of feelings or, or beliefs um, inside yourself yeah. and be as willing to say that was a, a childish or youthful perspective on God or that was an incomplete or immature perspective on this issue and it's and it's time for me to let that go as mm-hmm. well. And I think that's part of just human growth yeah. and development. Yeah, uh, coming to that place. I think what's different about it is that I know that I was that again in in growing up, um, uh, I was taught that that wasn't what you were supposed to do. Sort right. of like you always doubled down. Like once yep. you knew something, you just always sort of doubled down on it. Right. The, the way you're saying, the the more you mature you were, the more certain you were of yes. everything. Yes, exactly. And it's actually different. Yes. That, And I think it's absolutely true. You are more sure of a small core yeah. of like, th- this, is, this is the essence of your faith. And you're less sure uh, about so much... Yeah. Other th- other issues. I find myself becoming more sure about the nature of God, mm. um, and and who God is calling me to be. Not what I should do, but yeah. sort of who I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And everything else is getting fuzzier. <laughs> yeah, it, it it is right, and um, yeah, that that's a good way to say it. And, and I would even say, going back to the part of the question where she says, you know, does that make this author null mm-hmm. his other perspectives. And I would say, and I, th- I think it'd be true of you too, but I'll let you speak for yourself. I don't, I don't think there is one author or pastor or theologian that I fully agree with 100%. Right. And if this were, if this were the, were, were true, I would need to null or cancel all of them. Yeah. And so I don't think you will ever find, and, and I would even go as far as to say, if there is somebody that you're like, I agree with him 100% on everything, that maybe you're a disciple of that person than you are a disciple of Jesus. Yes, yeah, you should take a second look. Yeah, yeah. because if you find nothing wrong with them, uh, maybe you're not thinking enough for yourself. Yeah. Um, 
that now we also have to bound that within like a broad, broad Christian perspective, right? At the same time, it doesn't mean you can't be influenced, you know, like, because some people will be like, and we talked about this back in the Enneagram, like, oh, well, it, it's like this Hindu kind of thing. And it's like, well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, look at the look at the fruit, not not like the source. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, so just just encourage you there. Uh, there uh, there are other issues that C.S. Lewis talks about that I disagree with, um, but I'm not going to burn his book. In fact, he's, he's like in, in the top two or three authors in my life. Yeah. Right. And, and so, but, and you, you said he was a Christian. He is a Christian, but he's, he's, uh, I, I would say Protestants claim him as their own Catholics p- claim him as his own. Mm. I mean, he was, he was Catholic really. Mm. I mean, but Protestants love him too. He, he held a lot of Catholic theology, like the view of purgatory. And again, like some readers, like this is the thing that I find ironic people who are so black and white, you know, they, they only believe this. And if you don't believe everything I do, I'm going to throw you in the trash. They'll, they'll, they'll hold up C.S. Lewis. And I'm like, do you, you know, and these are usually like really narrow-minded, like reformed folks. Mm. Um, and it's like, well, and you don't have an issue with C.S. Lewis? Right. Right. Like, have you really <laughs> yeah, read him? Have you read all of his stuff? Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're you're going to cast this brother or sister aside because they have a different view on this, but... C.S. Lewis is a whole, whole other level of disagreement. Yeah. And you're not going to throw him out? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that actually is one thing that, um, I have, uh, that I've learned from you, to be honest, because you, of all the people I know, are the king of, like, cherry-picking in the best possible way <laughs> from authors and books, where you will literally be like, oh, I hated 90% of this book, but this 10% is, like, really worth us taking a look at. And yeah. that, I think that can be really helpful. Again, there's always the, the caution of don't, you know... Try to avoid living in an echo chamber. I mean, yeah. try to f- try to read people that you disagree with. Try yeah, yeah. to let yourself be convinced or have your mind changed. Yeah. Um, but we certainly have to discern. There's too much information going in and out all the time for us to not be not consider discernment as one of our primary sort of responsibilities as people of faith. Yeah. Well, and that word, you know, she, she's this, this person sent a follow-up email and, and I, I was going to say um, one thought that um, building off of this and she speaks to it well, she writes, Oh, and I just want to add that I also recognize we're called to a certain level of discernment, but I also know my brain will always think it is on the right track. So yeah. that's why we need, and this is a part, healthy community to, to support and challenge us so we can become better discerners. But also the communities we choose, we must do so with discernment, which is why we need diverse communities and to engage with people who aren't like us. And so, yeah, you, you as you read authors, yeah, you might be catering to your own biases. Like right. that's all of us, right. but it, uh, it's different if you see and can acknowledge your biases and say, well, I, you know, this person really rubs me wrong because this is where I am. And, and I know this is my bias at the same time, like books, you, you can isolate yourself um, in, in an echo chamber with just books. But when you have flesh and blood people around you who say, you know, Nate, that's really interesting. Yeah. But I think this, yep. like, it, it's kind of like the Facebook effect. Like, so, like things that people post on Facebook, you would never say in front of, like, if you were face-to-face. Yeah. Like, being in community, healthy community, um, it, it is so important to the process of growth and discernment. Yeah, I mean, again, the way that we tend to f- think that we're rational beings Right. And that we can be convinced by sort of an arbitrary argument or a or a objective argument. 
But really, the way that our minds are changed almost always comes through someone that we trust holding a different opinion. Yeah. And so you have to put yourself in a position where you trust people that you don't always agree with. Yeah. Um, and that really is the... I mean, that's what makes the difference. That's what community really is. It's not everybody all agreeing with each other. Yeah, yeah. It's people who love each other enough to disagree and stay intimate. Right. Uh, it actually reminds me when I was in college, um, I took a class, and I don't even remember what the class was, but we did a really simple exercise where we were given a list of survival items, and we had to essentially rate them from like 1 to 20, what mm -hmm. was most important, what was least important. And we did the exercise individually, and then there was some way to measure it against the standard. Yeah. And you'd get like a differential, right? I'd be off by 30 points or something. Mm -hmm. And then we had to get into groups of like six and uh, do it again. And we had to agree. And without fail, the, the way that groups ordered those numbers was always closer because you had a you the the multitude of perspectives mm -hmm. let people see things that they didn't see when they were just sort of by themselves saying what's more important you know a water bottle or a backpack mm -hmm. uh, with other people in the room it was dramatic it wasn't like oh that was close i mean it was crazy mm -hmm. what a difference it made right and, and but in that process and this is what happens in community as you c come to a group decision in that process there would have been somebody like what nate how yeah. could you break that first yeah. i got that like 19th yeah, on totally. my list totally right and and so sometimes and i talk about this in sermons and we talk about it with people but it's like just because you're in a group of people who disagree with you whether theologically politically or otherwise like that shouldn't be the reason and i get it sometimes you're at a place where you need something different but try to embrace that diversity of perspective because like what you ranked first and the other person 19th may be like 17 on the yeah. group list. And maybe, and like you said, maybe that, that would be the place where God brought you. So you, you would even begin to consider, yeah. Oh, maybe it shouldn't be number one on my list. Yeah. That's why I'm always skeptical when somebody says like, well, I don't, you know, I do a lot of reading or I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't really yeah. feel like I need to be a part of a church. I'm yeah. like, well, you know, if you're missing, you're missing one of the, the, greatest ways that God develops us, yeah, yeah. which is, as he says, iron sharpens iron, yeah, you yeah. know, so a good man sharpens another. Yeah. Um, and that, that really is a, really is a significant yeah. part of it. Yeah. Well, uh, another email, well, <laughs> this is actually from the same person and it's funny because in, in the string of emails, uh, one, one of the headline headers was another pod question. I swear I'll stop after, uh, after this. I know funny. you're super busy, <laughs> but I, I love getting these questions, even if we can't get to all of them. And again, this is something that she has read. And uh, again, I, I, I love talking to people who read uh, and I love I love the fact that you're putting this out there. And I would even say, yeah, I mean, discuss this in in, in your circle of people and friends and uh, this is just good things to talk through. So she says, good evening. I'm reading through The Purpose Driven Life. It's uh, by Rick Warren, Rick right? Rick Warren, yeah. yeah. I, I've, not, I, I've read Purpose Driven Church, and that was like ages ago. Yeah. And just finished chapter four. Rick Warren has many great things to ponder, but approaches his eternal worldview like many Christians. You have two directions when you die, heaven or hell. I felt the desire to reread John fourteen six and the verse surrounding it and want to bring this to you. Could it be possible that Jesus, uh, Nate is looking it up, uh, 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 um, could it be possible that Jesus was saying that no one could get to heaven except through him, meaning his life, sacrifice, and resurrection are all what save all of us, but does not necessarily mean we have to believe it. Could it mean it's just true that we are saved by Jesus, whether believe it or not? 
The next verse continues as Jesus says, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. It sounds like Jesus, Jesus is making the case that he is God the Father. He says, he, he's saying we should believe in God and believe that he is God. Then it seems he goes on to say that those who do believe Jesus is God will also do great work and continue his great work. It doesn't say anything about how those who believe God, Jesus is God are the only people who get to be with God in heaven. I'm curious, is that the only place in the Bible that people have read to mean that you have to believe in God to get to heaven? Or is there more than than um, forgetting about or missing in this passage? Okay. That's a big one. There's a lot there. There's multiple questions yep. there. Yep. Yep. So can you read John 14, 6? Yep. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then 7 says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So what can you remind me sort of like what were some of her questions? So about that? Um, could it be possible that Jesus was saying that no one could get to God except through him? Uh, or could it mean it's just that this is the truth and that we're saved by Jesus, whether we believe it or not? Yeah. I mean, this reminds me um, in an earlier season, we did talk about heaven and hell mm-hmm. on a podcast and we went into some of this. Yeah, so yeah. there's a little bit more discussion there if you want to go back through and find that. Um, but again, it's a good question. Tell us, Song. Oh, I was waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just referring people back to things we've already said. Yeah, uh, John fourteen six. You know, I mean, it. Uh, I'll just start off the, like saying this in verse six. He says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." Uh, you know, he is saying he he's he's not just a way, yeah. and he's not just a, a source of life. I mean, he's making a bold claim here. And this this is the thing to understand. If if you say yes to Jesus, like that is that is the the claim. He is the life. He is the way and the truth. Um, I I think that's different though than how we as Christians approach people about uh, um, about Jesus as the truth. Mm-hmm. Right, because we often want some Christians want to approach other other religions as if we're we're defending a statement mm. like of of truth, where uh, the tr- the truth or the way is a person. Mm. It, it's not a it's not a statement. It's not a belief. So, um, so I, I think there's multiple layers there. Yeah, yeah. In one sense, yeah, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Um, that has a lot of implications and applications for us, though. Like some people, some Christians, and we've talked about this in other podcasts, who act as if we need to defend uh, the truth, and yeah. it's, it's a belief statement. Yeah. And if you don't believe this, then you're out. Yeah. Um, and that's where we would say, you know, I, I don't know that you need that. God needs you to defend Him. Right. Right. Like, thank you very much. He could take care of it himself. He doesn't need you. Um, and sometimes those who are really into apologetics, you know, logics of mm-hmm. the faith and whatever, can can yeah. get really defensive and offensive. Um, so um, I would say, you know, um, so I, I think she's saying, like, do you do you need to? Do you, do, is there uh, it, the, the the other side of the question is? Could, is this just true that he is the way and that you're just saved by Jesus, whether we believe it or not? Right. Like he's saving everyone. Yeah. The question is kind of, kind of like, is this universalism? 
um, and uh, other other passages and things. And and, and again, like um, this, the, the, um, I would say for me, and, and I would say uh, for me, um, this is one of those few things that I, I think um, there is conviction around. Um, more and even even as I consider, well, what what would be the alternative narrative? Um, and it's not clean and easy, and it's in no way simple. But I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the end. Uh, but I, I think it is clear um, if we're looking at scripture that that um, there is some some um, surrender. Well, I mean, Jesus has that parallel, uh, that parable, uh, the sheep and the goats, where mm-hmm. he literally says, like, people will stand before him on that day, say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. Yeah. I never knew you. Yeah. So there is more than just sort of like, hey, Jesus is going to save everybody. Right, right. He is drawing some lines there. Yeah, and and it's more than just, oh, I believe. Because in that parable, the people are saying, yeah, we believe you. Look, we, look at all that we did for you. Yeah. And still Jesus says, depart from me. Like, that's scary. Because a lot of us say, you know, Lord, Lord, look what we've done in your name. Yeah, sure. You know, and even in the book of Acts, um, uh, this is uh, Peter in his sermons. He he says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. Like, that's a strong statement. Yeah. Now, I, I know that might raise questions of like, well, what about other religions? What about people who never hear? And yes, like, you know, we could go through in a whole a whole apologetics thing. But I guess at the end of the day, this is where we've talked about this in previous episodes too. Like, yeah, you trust in th- the God's sovereignty, knowing that he is good, that that's the essential character of his nature. And, uh, you know, from where we sit, it's a big M mystery. Yeah. And if, if you want to make, bold statements about who is in and who is out uh, based on what you, based on your opinion, like, boy, you're, you're getting pretty close to playing God there. Sure. I mean, and there's even another story of Jesus that I think sort of illustrates the nuances here where he essentially says to the Pharisees, like, like the, the sinners are crashing through yeah. the doors of heaven before you. Yeah. You know, so there, he even lays out people that are doing everything right. And these people that would not, necessarily seem to have any of the qualifications yeah. for getting to heaven and yet Jesus describes that they are getting there first. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I am holding both where I'm saying yes, I do believe that that Jesus is the way but I also think that I don't fully understand what that, yeah. <laughs> what that means yeah. or how that works on sort of a level beyond my understanding. Yeah. So that's uh, it's it's a it's a hard, it's tricky. It, it's a it's a for me it's a both and. Yeah. And I'm actually trying to be comfortable saying that that I believe both of those things to be true. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, and this is why she was like, "Sorry, last question," because she's had a string of questions. And reading an, another email, she she says, um, "I'm curious about a portion of your uh, and we were just talking about this uh, of your episode that mentioned how if we are too focused on black and white realities, it could be easy to determine who's in and who is out." which can prevent us from leaning into a deeper relationship with one another. Right. That's exa- I mean, she basically said what we were just talking about here. Yeah. Sorry. I'm trying to mess with my mic. I know it's a little bit late for that, but <laughs> I feel like my mic is. Uh, oh, that's is that. That's a little better. Okay. Sounds the same to me. Does it? Yeah. Okay. 
I'm sorry. So what, what were you saying? So, yeah. So she, uh, another one of her questions was about the black and white. And mm. she's referring to a, a, a previous episode. And we were just talking about this. And so I'm going to dive into this line of uh, question. Um, she says, I would appreciate help with processing this because I struggle with it. Uh, for example, in discussions I've tried to have with my friend's aunt, she's the kind of person who not only sees the world in a very black and white fashion, but she's extremely mean to people online, including me for not embracing the same worldview as her. Mm. Our interactions grow so, so toxic that I had to set a boundary and end our relationship. It was draining wow. me dry, and I was getting nowhere with trying to share how I live in the gray, and I absolutely cannot stand or understand her willful ignorance. I'm happy to live in, co to live in complexity, except when interacting with people who cannot. Then it is very hard for me to remain in a relationship with them, which therefore is its own version of a black and white worldview. Mm. Which, you know, is really great to acknowledge her. Yep. Anyone who cannot imagine the world complexity isn't worth my time and energy, she puts in quotes. God will change their hearts if he pleases, but I'm, the, I'm not the one to do it. Our thoughts and emotions I'm working through. So I guess my question is, how do we balance creating space for people as we all start from different points in a way that embraces grace and encourages growth from mistakes and understand, misunderstandings while holding boundaries with and not giving power to toxic individuals who are not receptive and struggle with maintaining conversations that are centered on empathy? Yeah, well, that's a big one. <laughs> that's a big one. Um, yeah. Or how have you done that? And what, have you, wh what are some things you've gleaned and, and learned from that process? You know, uh, the question that I always ask myself with difficult people, the, the question that I, I mean, so, all right, I'll start with the story. I, I remember I was, I was uh, talking to somebody. I don't even remember what we were talking about, but somehow we got on the, the, the um, oh, I was talking about a difficult relationship in my life and how it was sort of like um, not going well and, this guy must have sensed some level of unforgiveness or anger or malice that I had in my heart because he quoted the verse where uh, the Bible says that you shouldn't go take communion if your yeah. brother has something against you. He's uh -huh. like, oh, man. He's like, I, you, I hope you're not taking communion, <laughs> are you? And I, what I realized is that, like, there is when, when I find someone difficult, the, the path the Bible lays out is pretty clear because mm -hmm. it says to love your enemies. Mm-hmm. And so the question is always, how can I be loving to this person? Now, th for me, th why that's helpful is that there are all, like, love, healthy love has all sorts of boundaries set in. You know, you're not letting yourself be a doormat. You're not, you know, there's all sorts of ways in some ways that I think we know how to love someone healthily with boundaries. So it's not sort of just this open, you know, relationship. It's like, right. oh, my call is to love this person. Um, and so that's sort of been a trigger for me. Mm. Anytime I find someone being really as a difficult person in my life, I start asking myself, how do I, what does it mean for me to love this person? Well, um, that's how I approach it mm. because I think that's different than sort of saying, I mean, and I don't know that she's saying this except for some of her other emails would make me wonder, like if she's like trying to change this person's mind, yeah, you know, yeah. love isn't really trying to do that necessarily. Yeah, right. Right. Um, but it also isn't. It's different than cutting yourself off completely. It's like finding a way to engage in a person's life positively. Um, but that can look very narrow. It can yeah. be a very, very sort of narrow band it is. of interaction. Yeah. Um, 
and that is okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's I think that's okay. But the, but even if someone is difficult, you're never free of the command to love people. Yeah, right. So that's where I always end up falling. Yeah, like yeah. what does it look like to love this person? Yeah, um, yeah. It was interesting because she, you know, um, she's a regular listener, so she'll uh, you'll she'll hear all this, and I I think even a, and writing things down really helps. Um, um, or, or it, 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 it can, it re- it's revealing in terms of your attitude because she does say, yeah, like she, uh, let me see, I'm going back here. Um, I mean, it's good that she set, she set boundaries and, and, and sometimes you need to end a relationship, you know, and, and true. given this is your friend's aunt. It's not even your aunt. Oh, okay. It's your friend's I aunt. I must have missed that the first time through. Yeah. So if it's, I mean, so I think that that's also something to consider. Yep. Like if it's like biological family, like, you know, um, but like your friend's aunt who is really black and white. Um, or if it's, but it, but it's, also, then it's also important to be aware of people that God sort of keeps bringing into your life. Yeah. I don't think Facebook conversations count. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. A God know. can work through Facebook. He can do anything. <laughs> uh, but, but if it's like a neighbor, through a donkey, right? Yeah. But if it's like a neighbor yeah, or right. something, it's like, you know what? That is probably not a relationship you should just write off. Yeah. Like geographical proximity is a way that God brings people into our life. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's an interesting way to, but you can go ahead and s- you're right when you see both things are true, right? There are relationships that you should cut out and we should also be aware that difficult people are need to stay in our lives. Yeah. You just discern. You yeah, yeah. Figure it out. Well, the part that I was laughing at, and, and it's not—it's it's, a—it's it's actually a laughter of uh, empathy. Uh, but she says, uh, you know, how she absolutely cannot stand or understand her willful ignorance. You know, and, and I laugh because I'm like, uh, uh, I'm like, yeah, right, right there. Th- there's that, you know, um, uh, hardened, e- hardened edge of your heart that yeah. that is not loving. At the same time, I laugh because <laughs> man, you are not the only one. No. I think that all the time. No. Right? Like, yep. I cannot stand this person. How stupid can they be? Yeah. Why can't they see what's right in front of their uh, right, face? Right, right. Yeah. So uh, e- even writing that down, it's like, oh, there th- there's some really great things in terms of how she's navigating this and and um, uh, about surrendering it to God. Like, oh, you know, God will work through her. But also, I, I think also, uh, at least for me in my life, it's like, okay, let me admit that uh, that I have some hard edges on my heart and what comes out is frustration and anger, yeah. not love. Yep. Yep. Um, so, and this is the other, this here's another thing that I'll say, and we're, here's, here we're going to psychobabble for just a second, because <laughs> this is actually something that my therapist told me about navigating difficult relationships, especially the ones that you can't escape from. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. uh, first of all, my therapist is a person of faith and she would say those relationships, like I said, are in your life for a reason. Um, it might not be a reason that is to bring you joy and happiness, <laughs> but they're there for a reason. But the way that she told me to navigate them is that if you're in a conversation, it's always okay for you to reflect back how you're feeling yeah. or how a statement makes you feel. It doesn't, ha- doesn't have to be convincing. It doesn't have to be an attempt to change the other person's mind. But you also don't have to just go silent. You don't have to just sort of let them... Dude... My son was in the hospital like two weeks ago and our we had a male nurse come in and the first thing out of his mouth, like I could tell he like had 
an, an agenda. I mean, so let's be honest. It was the middle of the night. I had come from farm work, so I was wearing my boots and like a flannel and stuff like that. So <laughs> he probably thought we had something in common. But he literally, I could tell he was trying to figure out a way to start sort of a monologue sort of rage against the powers that be. So I could just tell. He was like, ah, I feel like, so I, literally out of the blue. He's like, man, I feel like every time I turn on the news, I'm being lied to. I'm like, we're, we're in the ER. Like, why is that the first thing you say to us, right? But it's re- so then he goes off on this whole thing about a fight that he had with his neighbor. And what is reasonable for me to do is to reflect and say something like, I, you know, it, the way that I feel about his behavior. Just like it's not a judgment statement, yeah. but literally just to be able to say something like, "Man, I'll be honest. It 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 seems to me like whatever. I can't even think of what to say or what I did say in the moment. But to say, wow, it really it it really like worries me mm. to hear that that you would treat another human being that way. Mm. Uh, uh, that's that's it. Yeah. You know, or you can say, wow, it really is alarming to me that you felt like." violence was the right way to respond to your neighbor, both of which were true mm-hmm. <laughs> in yeah, the story yeah. that he told. That's not an attempt to change his mind. It's simply saying, hey, man, I just want you to observe that I don't see the world the way that you do. I'm not trying to change your mind, but I have said things like, it really hurts my feelings when you say something like that because I feel like it means you don't understand what it's like to be in my shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's all about me, yeah, yeah. right? Like That's all about me. But it's a way to sort of be truthful without saying, how could you think that? It, you know, how, why don't you see this and don't you see this and don't right. you see this and don't you see this? You can simply say, wow, it makes me really sad huh. to hear you say that yeah. because I know people like who you're talking about and I love them very dearly. Mm-hmm. Well, it's all you say, yeah, yeah. you know. And um, that's a great example or a handhold for, uh, for folks who are navigating this kind of yeah. complexity. You know, that there, there's a, that's something for you to think through and ponder. And, and how does that come out even in your communication and behavior with others or yeah. other folks? Because yeah. I think sometimes we just need the right words just to to help us. Um, and, and while our emotions may not be there, you know, speaking that out and, yeah. and leaning into that, praying into that, like, you know, your, your heart eventually goes there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the next time that happens, it, it, it is more coming out from your heart. Yeah. And not just something you're just saying out of rote or like yeah. it's a line I learned. Yep. Uh, but th- but those things are really helpful. Well, how much time do we have? We have one more question. I don't know if you have time to get. Into I mean, it. we've been going for a while, but if okay. this is the last one, let's just keep rolling. People can pause it and come back to uh, it. Okay. Can. This is a Bible question based on a previous uh, podcast on men and women and all that. Okay. So. Uh, in Leviticus 27, God very clearly in monetary terms invites um, men and women to, be consec- uh, women to be consecrated at lesser amounts. I feel like this was an opportunity for God to make men and women of equal value in a nation he was trying to set right with new expectations and laws that center on him. Um, and so uh, it makes me feel like God values women more than biblical cultures did, but still not as much as men um, what what is she referring to? Uh, so um, what verse? Okay, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I was trying to cut through uh, most of the email. But oh, I see. I'll, okay. Uh, so she she's talking about how she's uh, reading this 
Bible recap book with uh, a few other ladies. And, and today was Leviticus 27. And um, let me see. Um, and in that, uh, she says, I appreciate your perspectives in both podcasts and recent sermon about how man and women serve and help each other's equals. We can see throughout the Bible God trying to show humans within the, the context of their culture that women have a value to God and shouldn't be treated as just lesser humans slash property slash only home managers, baby makers. But in Leviticus 27, God very clearly in monetary terms invites them to be consecrated at lesser amounts. I see. And so in Leviticus, he basically says, say, if anybody's going to be make a special vow mm-hmm. to, to dedicate a person to the Lord, set the value of a male between the ages of 20 and 60 at 50 shekels of silver uh, for a female, set her value at 30 shekels. And then there's this whole rating system between mm-hmm. the ages of five and 20, may f- male and female, between one month and five years, male and female, 60 years or older, male and female. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, the, and the females in every class mm-hmm. are about, are less, two thirds right. or something like that. Right. Three, something like that three-fifths yep and in the email she she did some studying and she came to a a place where she was like yeah okay this was really valuable um and she said the commentary i read said it had something to do with the physical productivity they brought to the agricultural society but women grow and birth entire human beings which in my opinion was pretty darn valuable and women could have worked the fields if their culture allowed so needless to say i'm not satisfied with the commentary i read I wonder, um, I mean, when we talked about males and females, we talked about how some of these Old Testament laws were actually greatly elevating Mm -hmm. the value of a woman in comparison to the culture of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, I would be curious if this were something similar. Uh, Because in this case, really, for a female between the ages of uh, 20 and 60, kind of like main productive years, Males were first, women were second, and then literally every other category, male and female, is less. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the elevation of a female above, say, a male between the ages of five years and 20 represented a tremendous sort of valuation that was above and beyond what the culture expected. Or for a woman to be valued more than a man over the age of 60, I wonder if that was sort of represented a tremendous sort of increase in the yeah. value. It's possible. Yeah, yeah, I, it is. And, and that would have been very countercultural and it would have made a statement. I think she's also asking why couldn't it have been like the Equal. same? Yeah, why didn't, the, why didn't God just set it equal as long as he had the chance? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, I, I admit that the, our answer may not be satisfactory either, you know, because, the, uh, again, this has nothing to do with the inherent worth of a man or a woman. Um, it has everything to do, like you, she was saying in the email, the practicality of production in an agrarian society, which uh, you know much about. I just can only imagine. Um, but um, I do. And again, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate sort of the equality that this, you know, listener is striving for. I can just say just, for example, on the farm, I am just, I'm able to outwork the women in my family mm. by li- literally two or three times. Mm. It just, it just is the truth of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's true of every woman, no. but I think potentially if you looked at average 
the average male can produce more than the average woman. When If it's a very sort of physical, and I'm talking specifically, look, like my wife has always made way more money than me. <laughs> like, let's be totally honest about that, right? She absolutely has. When it comes to carrying buckets and sacks of feed and wrestling piglets and moving wood piles, I can outwork her. She's the brain, you're the brawn. That's, I mean, that's exactly it. So in an agrarian society, if what they were looking at is what can this person produce, it is true that a male probably outproduced a woman right. on average. Which is why those five years old and under require the lowest price because they weren't able to work at all on yeah. the farm. Right? Yeah. I mean, like a couple of weeks ago, I, I, w- I had hurt my back, I think, and I asked my daughter, who's 16, very healthy, very strong, to do the chores for me. And it took her three times longer Mm. because I'm simply able to carry three times more than her when I'm hauling hay or carrying water or whatever. Mm. That just, it is what it is. Yeah. That's a really great perspective. And um, I I could not have articulated in in a way that was backed by experience. You know, I I could still maybe assume the listener might be, and others uh, might be like, well, still... Right. Insisting on like, but. And I get that because, yeah. again, if somebody would say who's more valuable to the family, I mean, if I go away, we get rid of all the animals and nobody has to do chores. If my wife goes away, the rest of us have to go get jobs to, <laughs> <laughs> to make up for her being gone. So I get it. Right. Yeah. I'm talking purely from a, a like physical, a physical labor. Yeah. 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 And, and that that's what it is. Um, I, I think in that culture, too, that the. the um, And I I don't remember the full context of that passage or what was going on, but males were also more expensive to dedicate. And I don't remember all the details. And so they also required a higher redemption price. Um, But but yeah, um, if if, uh, you know, that might not be satisfying. And and again, throughout this whole season, we've said, yeah, none of these answers are going to satisfy every intellectual curiosity. Yeah. Um, and there are things that I am still learning, even being a pastor for how many years. Um, and, and I will say this though, every time I come to like grow in my knowledge and hopefully obedience in, in, in relation to that knowledge, there's always a sense of like, Oh, like just, and I, I hope that's true of you for the listener too, right? That, that, you know, like there continues to be day after day or month after month, year after year, like a, a greater, deeper understanding of scripture, of your own faith, of, of yourself and of God, where you go, oh my goodness, you look back, f- like you were saying, four or five years from now, and you're like, man, I just, um, and so, yeah, we're, we're at that place too, and um, this isn't, uh, uh, so that, that that's what I have with this passage. Um, uh, yeah, can we, I mean, can we just talk about why the, I think it's a good question. Why wouldn't God sort of have used this opportunity to set everything right mm-hmm. and sort of say, now it's time like to, to appreciate the fact that women do grow and birth and care for another human being. Yeah. Like that, va- that is, that value is equal to Nate's ability to carry <laughs> firewood. I mean, legitimately, yeah, yeah. right? So why, d- why didn't God sort of take that opportunity to like set it right? Well, and I, I do think in other places in scripture, he does do that. Well, a couple thoughts. One, he does do that in other places. Like for example, Matthew chapter one, there's a whole genealogy. Women are never included. Not only does Jesus include women because they are the mothers of so-and-so and so. And so in, in, even in that instance, God is showing like, look, like, and the people there would have been scandalized. 
you not only include women, but these are women of ill repute, some yeah. of them. Yeah. How dare you? Yep. And, and God is saying, look, like, if this is the genealogy of Jesus, I want you to know, like, the like. so speaking to that, like, that, that is, so God, that, that, that is of, of value, uh, of, of high value in God's economy. At the same time, there are times when God does things gradually. Like, we talked about this with the Canaanites. Like, God could have been like, boom, one-stop yeah. shop. It's, you guys are all gone. I won't even ask the Israelites to, to, to you know, invade this land. I'll just obliterate them all. Yeah. Uh, and, and there are times when it's gradual. And, and I think um, when you... And so there are moments in history. I mean, it's true today. Like we would, we would love to end racism. Yeah. Like just eradicate it. Like, can we do away with the hate and the, and, and just the violence that's associated with it? Like, why doesn't God just come in or, or why can't we just create laws just to end it once and for all? Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, if you just create laws and it once and for all, it doesn't end it. Right. Yeah. And so, but there has been decade after decade, year by year, and, and we're still in the midst of that struggle of us trying to eradicate racism. Yeah. And I, I would assume that most of us know very few, uh, maybe more, uh, out, outwardly racist folks, right? Uh, but, and, uh, but there are still mm-hmm. huge pockets of people yep. where that's just the norm. Yep. And I think any listener, if you were plopped into that, culture you'd be like oh my goodness how can you be so you know and so even in that even in that work of trying to make black white equal or or equal opportunity equity all that kind of stuff it it is a gradual progressive work and and god works in the same way too yeah that's what actually uh, as i was rephrasing her question something about it struck me which is that we often ask why isn't god putting these things right that need to be put right Mm. You know, that I ask that question all the time about all sorts of things. And that is a hard question to answer. But it doesn't mean that it's because God doesn't value things being set right. right. It's way more complex than that. And if I put that in the category of, like you said, racism or, you know, um, socioeconomic inequality or, um, you know, people who don't know about God, like or who have a broken understanding of him because of people that gave them bad information. Like, why doesn't God put all of those things right when he could? Right, right. I think we will be asking that question uh, un- until until we die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a peek into next uh, season. This is the last episode of this season. And th- this is like one of those season finales that goes twice as long as... That's <laughs> right. That's right. Because you just don't want it to end. So we uh, keep milking it. Uh, and so we, we are at, at Grace during the Lenten season. We're going through a series called Out of the Ashes. That's working through the second half of the book of Job. And just as we're talking o- over lunch, I, I, I said, hey, Nate, I think this would be a great next season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to give you a sneak preview. We're, we're going to call the next season. So we're going to be offline for a few weeks, and we're going to start uh, up again uh, after Easter, and we're going to call it Out of the Ashes. But instead of looking at Job or anything else, we're going to actually bring in different people, uh, mostly people at Grace, and uh, it, we're, we're going sh- to have them share their own personal resurrection stories. Yeah. So it's out of the ashes, you know, people have gone through hell and back and they've been burnt. They've been, you know, they've gone through fire, but as they come out of it, like, like that's not the end of the story that, 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 that there is actually a resurrection story. So I, I just thought, man, post Easter, having people come and share their stories 
man, like, and you were talking about this, the power of story. Yeah. Right. Like just, uh, we're really excited about that. If you are interested in coming and sharing a part of your story, uh, please text me at 734-709-5742. Can't promise that you will make it to the podcast, but we, we would love to hear your story and share as much of these uh, out of the ashes stories as we can uh, after Easter. Yeah, I'm super excited to get some additional voices in here. I know that you had people on while um, I was taking care of, of my son over the past mm-hmm. month or so. So it's just going to be great to get to get some some more uh, voices yep. in the mix. So I'm looking forward to it. So thanks for another season sticking with us and uh, look forward to beginning again after Easter. That's right. Until then, have yourselves a great week. <laughs>